ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय So we are reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam. I think uh, you're off by 20 verses. We're starting on 28 and 29. Uh, this is exciting. This is Prithu Maharaj uh, preaching. He's a Tatriya and he's preaching to his, his praja, his citizens. And uh, in some places he's saying, please do devotional service. He doesn't say, please do devotional service because I get one-sixth of the credit or something. Maybe that's a, maybe he says that in another uh, Bhagavatam. But uh, he's certainly encouraging them in their proper discharge of their actual swadharma, constitutional swadharma. So we are beginning on text uh, 28 and 29. This is confirmed not only by the evidence of the Vedas, but also by the personal behavior of great personalities like Manu, Uttanapad, Dhruva, Priyavrata, and my grandfather, Agni, uh, 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 Anga, as well as by many other great personalities and ordinary living entities exemplified by Maharaj Prahlad and Bali, all of whom, all of whom are theists, believing in the existence of the Supreme Personality of Godhead who carries a club. Text 30. Although abominable persons like my father Vena, the grandson of death personified, are bewildered on the path of religion, all the great personalities, like those mentioned, agree that in this world, the only bestower of benedictions of religion, economic development, and sense gratification, libera uh, sense gratification, liberation, or elevation to the heavenly planets is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Now, I saw this purport, just two sentences, but Prabhupada, it captures so nicely the mentality of, um, of many a person who claims to be both moral and an atheist, right? He says, according to them, he's talking here about, uh, well, he's talking about Vena, but he's talking about atheists. Uh, dharma, or religious principles, are meant to establish an imaginary God to encourage one to become moral, honest, and just so that the social orders may be maintained in peace and tranquility. So religion is good because it, even though it doesn't exist, God doesn't exist, it's still good if it, if it brings morality to people. Furthermore, they say that actually, <laughs> so there's no need to accept God for this purpose. So that problem is really getting to the heart of it, right? You don't need that. Uh, for if one follows the principles of morality and honesty, that is sufficient. So what a, what a very excellent encapsulation of how many people think today. Right? So I did a random uh, search on the internet for um, uh, atheism and morality. So I just clicked on the first website. I didn't, in other words, I wasn't trying to, I didn't go through 20 of them to see which one was really lousy. I just picked the first one. And, and I was really uh, thoroughly unimpressed by the logic of their, of their presentation. So we'll, we'll go over some of it and see what you think. Um, 
where do we begin here? Many, many theists believe it is clear-cut. Humans can only have opinions about morality and no, and uh, humans, wait, wait a second. Many theists believe it is clear-cut. Humans can only have opinions about morality and no one's opinion is any more valid than anyone else's. Wait, that's what they say. Hold on, let me, <laughs> let me get to this. For morality to come from God, God would have to exist. Okay, that's so far, that's good. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. Since we are still waiting for a God's existence to be demonstrated, this entire argument is moot. We could end the argument there and tell theists to come back when they can show at least one God is not a figment of their overactive imaginations. However, to explore the argument, we can assume a hypothetical God does exist and see where that takes us. So let's, let's listen to their logic here. First, we should ask, how God knows what is moral. Now, from a devotee's perspective, of course, now we're going we're gonna to try to look at it from logical, but from a devotee's perspective, it's like, huh? Right? Because from a devotee's perspective, we understand, uh, we, we, we would quote the first verse of the, first of the Bhagavatam, Abhigyaswarat. Right? He knows everything. Right? And a matter of fact, from him comes knowledge, religion, etc. Right? Uh, the... Uh, 43rd verse of the third chapter of the first canto, Krishna Swadharmam Bhagavate, right? Um, but let's continue. Since we are, uh, where, where are we? Since we are still waiting for a God's existence to be demonstrated, oh no, I read that. First we should ask what, uh, yeah, if, uh, okay. Plato wrote a dialogue in which Socrates asks, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, you roof you fro not you oh you found it how did you find it? You, how do you pronounce that person yeah you fro okay uh, is what is what is morally good commanded by god because it is morally good or is it morally good because it's commanded by god this is known as Euphro dilemma. Now, of course, we know where we fall on that one, right? We say that ultimately morality is what pleases Krishna, right? Now, we don't go and do immoral things and say that pleases Krishna, but we do have, for example, the example of Yudhisthira being asked to say that uh, Ashvatthama is dead, right, and things like that, and actually, you know, right? Yeah. But, but that we're, we're not, we're not going to only just rely on uh, Shastra here. Okay. If God is merely an agent advocating some universal morality, then morality exists independently of God. Huh? Does that make any sense? Does that make sense? Ser I mean, I'm seriously, I'm not trying to... But if God is... Okay, well, first of all, is God, who said God is merely that? Right? Right? That's, that's, a, that's an assumption that... Uh, where did that come from, right? If God is merely an agent advocating some universal morality. Do, do any religions say that? I don't know. But, maybe the Tao? Okay. But let's, let's say, if God is merely an agent advocating some universal morality, 
Oh, if he, also if he's just an advocate of it, he doesn't actually control it. Yeah. Then morality exists independently of God. So the, the um, and given enough time, humans could discover it through reasoning. Why? I mean, why does that follow? Oh, because it's already existing independently. Okay, got it, okay. But, um, <laughs> and it's not fun, so why would we discover it? Um, so the main, so the, the 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 biggest argument there is the first premise, right? Like, uh, like uh, what is the what is it? Um, uh, man is mortal. Socrates is mortal. Uh, Socrates is mortal. Therefore, Socrates is a man, right? So, the two premises uh, have to be true for the right. But if you say uh, uh, man is mortal. Socrates uh, has a beard, therefore Socrates is mortal. It doesn't flow, right? Logically, right? So here, I guess our biggest concern here would be the first premise, right? That God is simply a, uh, an advocate. So we do say that he, he, he is an advocate in one sense, right? I mean, he says, um, do this, don't do that in Bhagavad Gita, right? I don't, but, but morale, but that doesn't, the other thing is, uh, so the, this is where Chintya Beta Beta Tattva comes in, doesn't it? I'm trying to, I'm thinking out loud here, right? That, um, therefore they are saying that, therefore morality is independent. Right? But we, but we understand that Krishna can advocate for someone and also be the source of it. Right? The underlying assumption here is that it's independent, yes. Who? Krishna is, is you're saying is Krishna dependent on morality? We should use microphones, by the way. God is Dharma? He himself like Dharma, right? Wait, you got to turn it on first. He himself like Dharma, right? Like he says, I'm, uh, I'm in the form of Dharma. In Dharma one place, uh, when, he's trying to when he's trying to show us how to think of him, right, he says something to that effect. Does he say morality? Or, uh, or is morality at the very end of the Bhagavad Gita, wherever there is that mentioned? Is the word morality mentioned in uh, Yatra Yogeshwaro Krishna? I'm trying to think of the, if anyone could find the translation of the... I think it's the last verse, right? The Bhagavad Gita? Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's, let's continue here a little bit. Um, on the other hand, if something is moral because God commands it and for no other reason, then morality is arbitrary. How does that follow? Do you follow that? Because if... If... On the other hand, if something is moral because God commands it, and for no other reason, then morality is arbitrary. How is it arbitrary? God commands it. You're saying God is arbitrary then? Yeah. Go ahead. Microphone. Uh, the premise of this that I, I can't accept at all, which I think is very erroneous, 
they're assuming that God is a like a monarchical monarchy type of God. Right. Where he puts out commandments. Right. I right, don't see right. Krishna that way. No, no. Matter of fact, when 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 people say often I know uh, I learned this from Jayadweta Swami, when someone says they don't believe in God, you say, uh, what is the God you don't believe in? Right? And sometimes they may come up with this idea of, you know, sinners saved, you know, just like the universal scorekeeper. You go to hell, you go to heaven, you, you know, or something like that. And, uh, or the creator of everything. And uh, I've heard Jai Dwayne say, well, I also don't believe in that God. <laughs> he said it's more like Brahma. Uh, opulent, oh, there is morality. Yeah, I was, I'm not as dumb as I look. Uh, Wherever there is Krishna, the master of all mystics, and wherever there is Arjuna, the supreme archer, there will certainly be opulence, victory, extraordinary power, morality. That is my opinion. But the, yes. the last, the end of the Bhagavad Gita invalidates the whole assumption of what God is. Because he says, here, I've told you all this, do what you want to do. Does that sound right. like a commandment? Uh, that he's commanding him to do something? He's saying, I'm t I presented you what... You taught to see to take... Yeah. Ta Kuru. Go ahead and do, do you, as you like. Yes. Right. Right. So yeah. So I, I, in one sense, you can't. We can't fully blame these people because they don't have the kind of conception of God that we have. Right. And, and like I said, we also may not believe in that kind of God. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, we would be unable to reason our way to such a morality because it would not be based on reason. Well, that's that's assuming then that God saying that something is moral or not is not reasonable. Right? So that's an assumption. Uh, one more thing. Yes. Uh, also, there is another assumption here that everything existing in the universe is within the reason of human consciousness, <laughs> oh, which is another. not the case. Right, of course. Yes, that's another one. Yes. Uh, furthermore, God could change his mind at any time and reverse earlier moral commands. Well, that's a good question. That's a whole other. That's a whole other question. <laughs> yes, <laughs> devotees are such um, amazing philosophers. You know, uh, I mean, we we th we're so trained to think philosophically, but we don't. I sometimes I think we forget that most of the world, especially with since social media and computers came about, it's like they're. They're not so much. I'm reading a book right now uh, that my son uh, studied when he was in grad school. That makes uh, one of the distinctions it makes is like books uh, that really like deal psychologically with people and try to help them be better, and books that actually ask questions about what is life all about. Right? Because you know you could be dealing psychologically, but still not thinking of the big picture. You could what, you could be kind of rearranging the uh, what is it the chairs on the on the Titanic, right, right, you know, as opposed to really thinking, uh, actually I have a, let me see if I can find that quote, it's, um, it's by a, um, I'll tell you in a second, it's not an easy read, <laughs> by the way, but I'm just reading a few pages at a time, let me see if I can find it really, well, I'd have to, um, let's see if, I'll have to get on the internet, and uh, it'll take me a little while. But anyway, um, I'll find that quote in a few minutes. Uh, so, should we go? Should we, is there any more we should do with this? Uh, 
Where are we up to? Oh, he could, re, he could change his mind. And that's interesting because Krishna is aware of that and therefore he says, Kanteya pratijanihi name bhakta pranashasi. He said, my devotee, we can trust his word. So Arjuna, you go declare it. And also we know that the Siddhanta never changes. Right? Um, they really don't like this guy God very much. <laughs> yeah, right, right. In this case, God would be, necess- would be necessary for morality, but morality would not be objective, but would be wholly subjective. What's that? This logic leads us to the conclusion that God cannot be the author of objective morality. Now that is called, uh, whoa, 2 plus 2 equals 100. <laughs> right? So anyway, we won't go any further now. You can read this uh, <laughs> website when you want. Let me see if I'm, uh, no, I don't think I'm connected yet. Oh, maybe I am. So I'll find you, I'll find you that quote. I mean, this, I, I found this quote and... Uh, for us, it's like no big deal, but you can see that for, um, let me see if I can find it. I was reading something else about uh, fallow time. Anyone ever heard of that, fallow time? You know, uh, uh, it was an op-ed article in the New York Times about um, how we're such a competitive society and such a connected society electronically and um, always having to you know, kind of prove ourselves and this and that, that we, many of us don't take any downtime, you know, just time to, as they would say, smell the roses, you know, or, or in our case, you know, just time to contemplate our devotional service and our relationship with Krishna, our relationship with other devotees, with this, our spiritual master, with the holy name and things like that. And I was thinking about it, so I wrote my son and my wife, I sent them the link to, the, uh, to that. My wife immediately wrote back, well, what about Chaturmasya? That sadhus would, would do this for four months, like a third of their time. They would take that time off and stay in one place and be contempl- contemplative, right? And then my son wrote back, he said, well, what about a codice? Right? Weren't we, isn't that right, kind of what we're supposed to do? Even didn't Bhaktivinoda Thakur say you can, every codice, think of what advancement you've made in the last two weeks since the previous. So we actually have it as part of our, of our culture. It's not just a New York Times op-ed. Kartik, yeah, Kartik, yes, right, yeah. Uh, here it is. Um, we, now, when we think about this, we probably, but... This is probably like something like, this is, hey, that's heavy stuff for your average person. He says, the more immersed we become in a changing culture, the more we need to be reminded of what is timeless and fundamental. And I was just saying, I, I picked that up because I was saying that would be a great thing, like when I give classes at yoga studios and this and that, be a great quote to, uh, to have. Uh, the book is actually, has a very boring title. Um, freedom and accountability at work. <laughs> but it's actually an uh, interesting book. And anyway, anyone wants to borrow it, don't, don't go at it. I think it's an expensive um, scholarly book, but it's interesting. Okay, so back on the ranch, so to speak. 
But I did, I do, I was really appreciate, I don't know if I've done the justice here, but I really do appreciate how Prabhupada, so in two sentences, really picks up on a lot of modern day uh, relationship between morality and atheism. It really struck me when I read that. So text 31. By the inclination to serve the lotus feet of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, suffering humanity can immediately cleanse the dirt which is accumulated in their minds during in, uh, innumerable births. Like the Ganges water, which uh, emanates from the toes of the lotus feet of the Lord, such, is, such a process immediately cleanses the mind, and thus spiritual or Krishna consciousness uh, gradually increases. When a devotee takes shelter at the lotus feet of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, he is completely cleansed of all misunderstanding or mental speculation, and he manifests renunciation. This is possible only when one is strengthened by practicing bhakti yoga. Once having taken shelter at the root of the lotus feet of the Lord, a devotee never comes back to this material existence which is full of the threefold miseries. Next verse. Yes. Prithu Maharaj. Hmm. For some reason I'm having trouble seeing it advised his citizens, engaging your minds, your bodies, and the results of your occupational duties, and being always open-minded, you should all render devotional service to the Lord. According to your abilities and the occupations in which you are situated, you should engage your service at the lotus feet of the Supreme Personality of God with full confidence and without reservation. Then you will be surely successful in achieving the final objective in your lives. So this point about Varnashram is going to come up. We'll find one uh, purport that we'll talk about it. Right. But the next verse. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is transcendental and not contaminated by this material world. But although he is concentrated spirit soul without material variety, for the benefit of the conditioned soul, he nevertheless accepts different types of sacrifice performed with various material elements rituals and mantras <coughs> and offered to the demigods under different names according to the interests and purposes of the performer. Next verse. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is all-pervading, but he is also manifest in different types of bodies which arise from a combination of material nature, time, desires, and occupational duties. Thus, uh, this Thus, different types of consciousness develop, just as fire, which is always basically the same, blazes in different ways according to the shapes and dimensions of the fire wood. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is the master and enjoyer of the results of all sacrifices, and he is the supreme spiritual master as well. All of you citizens on the surface of the globe who have relationship with me and are worshiping him, by dint of your occupational duties, are bestowing your mercy upon me. Therefore, O oh my citizens, I thank you. A nice purport. Maharaj Prithu's advice to his citizens is to take to devotional service. Uh, to take to devotional service is now concluded in two ways. He has repeatedly advised persons who are neophytes to engage themselves in devotional service according to the capacities of the different orders of social and spiritual life. That's Varnashram. But here, 
He specifically thanks those already engaged in devotional service. And towards the end, most of them, in fact, almost all of them were engaged in devotional service. Therefore, he thanked them in a humble way by, for engaging in devotional service and thus bestowing their mercy upon him. In other words, in the state where the citizens and the head of the state are engaged in devotional service unto the supreme personality of Godhead, they help one another and are mutually benefited. So that's verse number 36. I have some notes, that's why I'm checking on this. So I thought, um, so talking a little bit about this, we've talked about this before, but uh, uh, underscoring it, I was thinking of the verse in the Bhagavatam, Ata Pumbir Right, that, O oh, best among the twice-born, it is therefore concluded that the highest perfection one can achieve by Varnashram, by discharging the duties prescribed in, uh, for one's occupation according to caste divisions and orders of life is to please the personality of Godhead. And Prabhupada writes in his purport that in the best interest of human society, there must be divisions of life. Otherwise, no social institution can grow in a healthy state. And in each and every one of the above-mentioned divisions of life, the varnas and the ashrams, because uh, I'm not reading the whole purport, uh, the aim must be to please the supreme authority of the personality of Godhead. This institutional function of human society is known as the system of varnashrama dharma, but, uh, which is quite natural for the civilized life. The Varnashrama institution is constructed to uh, enable one to realize the absolute truth. It is not for artificial domination of one division over another. Here in the statement of the Bhagavatam is that the highest aim of life or the highest perfection of the institution of the Varnashram Dharma is to cooperate cooperate jointly for the satisfaction of the Supreme Lord. That is confirmed in Bhagavad Gita 4.13. So, both in this purport and in the one we just read, uh, this, move, this idea of cooperation. Right? So, in the purport, in the fourth canto that we're reading, the cooperation was between the king and the, the citizens. Right? And in this purport, Prabhupada is talking about the cooperation of the whole Varnashram society. So, although it obviously gets uh, poo-pooed so much today, and for good reasons, uh, it, when people just think of the caste system in India, right? The original idea is so glorious um, for other, for many reasons, but we're only going to focus right now on this mood of co this point about cooperation, right? Right? Because if you know, you know, what is uh, <laughs> I was singing an old song, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. You know, what the world needs now is love, uh, cooperation, sweet cooperation. Can you imagine if the world was in a mood of cooperation and if people were in the mood of cooperation and if there wasn't envy between. I, I, I often uh, think about that. I, I mentioned last week about um, what would happen if uh, the people who maintained the building where I work or the, took out the garbage and, and this and that went on strike, right? How smelly the building would be and how, you know, we need all, all divisions of labor, right? But I'm always a little conscious 
on the fact that I'm a white collar worker, in quotes, and the people taking out, uh, who come into my uh, office and, and uh, take out the garbage or vacuum the floor and things like that don't make the same salary I make, right? Um, and, uh, you know, so the, the, the way the world, the world is organized today does kind of breed envy. The, the so-called white-collar people in Vedic society, they don't make a penny. <laughs> they, they just take donations, right? They're beggars. They take uh, dakshina, right? <laughs> so you don't have that thing going on, right? And, uh, and the, good, the real Kshatriyas... Uh, the, the Vaish, the, especially the Vaishas feel, oh, they're getting so much more than, than what they paid in taxes. They're getting so much, they're getting protection, they're, they're the road, you know, so many things. So, uh, this, but this mood of cooperation, and especially those in the so-called higher castes, not thinking themselves better than the others is such a key, right? So, so this is something we don't focus a lot on, but Varnashram, the idea is there's just such a mood that we all need each other. I can't, you know, I don't want to not have my legs, for example, right? Even if the head is more important in one sense, because you can't live without the head, right? You can live without legs. So we need the whole cooperation. And so there was that appreciation for everyone in Varnashram that led to a mood of appreciation, that led to cooperation, led to a peaceful society. And in a peaceful society, one can be much more focused on God. And even and also one can be doing their occupational duties uh, as an offering, seeing the connection between that. So it's a glorious society, but it's so foreign to what we <laughs> what we could even imagine today that it's like ah, and we still can't figure out Varnashram and Iskon, maybe for these reasons <laughs> I just mentioned, but. Uh, now, I wasn't sure if I should mention here. Um, actually, no, I won't. Uh, I'll just stick to cooperation. Then I'll mention the other point that I was going to make about gratitude, because we're seeing here the mood of gratitude. But there's a later purport that where Prabhupada actually talks about gratitude. So I'll say. But any thoughts on cooperation? Well, a little bit more before we go. Before we take your comments, uh, my understanding of trying to study Srila Prabhupada's uh, statements on management in ISKCON is that that was the main point he made. The main point he made, that, um, that he, he, want, he basically managed ISKCON by cooperation. Right? I, I just did like a word search for that word, and I only chose the use of the word cooperate when it had to do with management. In other words, he says we should cooperate with the Lord. That's more you know, our relationship with Krishna. And it just comes out pages and pages and pages. And of course, we know that famous statement that you know the proof of your love for me will be shown by how you cooperate with one another after I leave. So, cooperation is so you can't run an organization without, especially a volunteer organization. <laughs> you can't run a volunteer organization without cooperation. And ultimately, we can't return to Godhead unless we cooperate with with the Lord and His instructions, and also with His devotees, because. Really, there's a, there's, a, there's a secret to spiritual life. And the secret is that you please Krishna's devotees. And then you make advancement. You don't, you don't get into, you know... Although, yeah, I was going to say, you don't, we don't just have that direct 
just it's me and God and you know everyone else can kind of cello but uh there's a but the other thing we don't see because this is sometimes we've seen in this kind of no now I'm, I'm on my soapbox a little bit uh, but we see sometimes that devotees have this like you know um God is over there and my spiritual master is over here right and we and but the really the idea is that we we focus on Krishna through the via medium of the parampara anyway some thoughts on cooperation yes um, for cooperation to exist between individuals in a society or an organization the first thing i think that's needed is i should take away myself away from the center and not expect recognition or respect because without that i would be demanding oh i uh, my inputs and suggestions were not considered so i i gave such an important suggestion and it was overlooked blah 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 and then it goes into that rara mode yes because cooperation doesn't mean but a cooperation doesn't mean um abdicating responsibility or just um uh what's the word i'm looking for uh just accommodation there's a difference between cooperation and accommodation you know we know people that are are accommodating right they just like you know just like okay you can have your way okay you can have your way okay you can have your way and also they become very resentful right it's like you know right you ever seen a dog they go you know they go on their back and they go you know, just like i surrender <laughs> right <laughs> so we can become a little bit uh like that and neither is it the the flip side of that of course which is you know my way or the highway but cooperation is kind of a balance between courage and consideration that we do have our we do have our way of seeing the world we do uh and as you're pointing out we're willing to hear the uh, viewpoints of others and then see if we if see if that by and then we i find in in my work especially in iskon that when we have that mood of of saying our how we see things uh clearly and hearing others and everyone has that mood then krishna kind of manifests and he inspires his devotees in a way to come up sometimes with an idea that's far better than either you know the the sum is much greater than the parts um so i think krishna really does manifest when he sees devotees not and, and beyond cooperation of course would be uh, uh affection right just like in the fourth uh, 10th verse of the fourth chapter bhagavad gita what's that verse anyone pick it up real quick vita raga bayakroda what's the next line manmaya man upasita is that right you got it bahavo gana tapasa madbavam agats yeah okay pretty good there my mantra yeah you got it okay um being freed from attachment fear and anger being fully absorbed in me and taking refuge in me many many persons in the past became purified by knowledge of me and thus they all attained transcendental love for me so first knowledge that so in our sense first co- cooperation is is great or, or you know and another way a word for cooperation might be respect and then you quoted that verse or you alluded to the verse trinata pisuni chema it's all about respect right um if a society really is based a good society is based on mutual respect 
Right? That's uh, Aretha Franklin was right. Right? Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know the song, that's your misfortune. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I won't sing it. <laughs> but um, but yes, and then and then from respect, mutual respect, uh, affection arises. And I don't think you can really have true affection without respect first. Just like knowledge leads to bhakti from that, that verse. Other thoughts on cooperation? Yes. You got the mic? Shil Prabhupada. Oh, go ahead. There's a big section like call on cooperation. One thing he's saying is the best thing is to be above suspicion of ourselves. Then if we see discrepancies and make suggestion, the others will automatically respect and take action to rectify the matters. This is cooperation. Very nice. Thank you for that. Huh. Yes, Boo. We need a microphone. I see that like respect and as well as acceptance is also... Respect? And acceptance. Acceptance. Yes, like whatever is just going around us um, and, uh, you know, it's my way, it's one of the challenges, like, you know, other ways. Yeah. I see your point. Uh, acceptance, and probably Rambaru Mataji can speak more on this than I can, but acceptance uh, is, doesn't necessarily mean agreement. Right? We can, I can accept that uh, you, at this point, in, uh, someone at this point in time um, can't keep their vows, and I can, I can be compassionate to that. I don't agree with if we should try to keep our vows, right? but I can accept that where a person is at. And sometimes that acceptance helps a person really then take next steps. Did you want to comment on that? Okay. So, but acceptance, yes. Uh, but like we don't accept what those folks, um, well, we can accept that those people on the, the atheistic website, I'm pointing over there, but uh, um, we don't agree with them. Right. And probably by you know, we, we, probably if we were in conversation with them, we'd probably say, "I can, you know, like like Andy was doing. I can see the I can see how you see the logic in your in your points, and then point out how. Well, let me let me explain how I see it differently, instead of just saying bogus. So um, we can do that also, but we probably the acceptance can be they are all like part of the family. In a family, part of a family. Uh, uh -huh. I'm not getting the Sanskrit well, Sahameva Kudumbakam or something like uh, So they're all like part of the universal family. Uh, that's one way of uh, accepting. I see your point, yeah. Or also just um, like what I, what I do a lot in when I'm called into, a, I hope we're not getting off the topic too much, when I'm called into uh, a conflict in an office and there's, and there's everyone's like, not everyone, but most people aren't getting along with each other. Or there's two sides, the Hatfield and the McCoy, sort of sort. Pakistan and India, for, if that's an easier example. Um, and one of my roles is to help the acceptance, help people like see the humanity in the other. Beyond, uh, I think I told it that I did this, right? One thing I did was I had everyone bring out their phones and pick their favorite picture. Did I mention that? Right, yeah. And sometimes we do these uh, different personality things like Myers-Briggs or... Uh, Enneagram or whatever, and just so people understand, oh, it's not that Andy's a 
mean person. He's just an introvert, right? And you get to, you get to understand people. So acceptance of where people are at. Yes, Jiva. Hare Krishna. So when it's mutually benefited, that aspect is also Prabhupada stated many times, like about the leadership style, like Acharya, one who leads by example and right. has the skill to see all the good qualities so that he can engage everyone nicely in Krishna conscious activities. So again, without breaking the stick, bending it just enough, mm. yet having that mutual benefit and feeling that encouragement mm. in the process. I like to lead by showing people what not to do. <laughs> the Brahmanas and Vaishnavas are personally glorified by their characteristic powers of tolerance, penance, knowledge, and education. By dint of all these spiritual assets, Vaishnavas are more powerful than royalty. It is therefore advised that the princely order not exhibit its material prowess before these two communities and should avoid offending them. So, you probably know what we're going to talk about in this purport. While, uh, a little few sentences down. While describing the system of protection for the creeper of devotional service, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has especially stressed protection from offenses unto the lotus feet of Vaishnavas. Such offense are called Vaishnava Aparad. Aparad means offense. Sometimes even says Appa means without and Radha means Radha. Aparad. If one commits Vaishnava Aparads, all of his progress in devotional service will be checked. Even though one is very much advanced in devotional service, if he commits an offense, uh, offenses at the feet of a Vaishnava, his Advancement is all spoiled. And towards the end, Prithu Maharaj warns his citizens who are actually engaged in the devotional service of the Lord to take care against offenses to the Brahmanas and Vaishnavas. Offenses at their lotus feet are so destructive that even the descendants of Yadu who were born in the family of Lord Krishna were destroyed due to offenses at their feet. The Supreme Personality of God cannot tolerate any offense at the lotus feet of Brahmanas and Vaishnavas. Sometimes due to their powerful positions, princes or government servants neglect the positions of Brahmanas and Vaishnavas, not knowing that because of their offenses, they will be ruined. So that's the happy news. Um, I thought I'd read a passage. Well, you know, first of all, we, you know, we, we had the clear example. We just, we just had the drama recently. Of, so Hiranyakashipu was really ruined because he committed Vaishnava Aparat. Right? That's, that's what really did him in. He offended. Uh, you know, the other things may have been tolerated, you know, screwing up the universe and all that. But <laughs> offending Prahlad Maharaj and Shingadev could not tolerate that. Right? So I thought I'd read though from um, a passage in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. It's brief. I'm just, not the purport, just the, you know, but uh, it gives us some further idea about the importance of this. At the house of Hiranya and Govardhan Majumadhara, a person named Gopala Chakravarti was officially, officially the chief tax collector. This Gopala Chakravarti lived in Bengal. His duty as chief tax collector was to collect 1.2 million coins to deposit in the treasury of the emperor. He had handsome bodily features and he was learned and youthful but he could not tolerate the statement that simply by glimpsing the awakening of the Lord's holy name, one can attain liberation. 
This young man, Gopala Chakravarti, became very angry upon hearing the statements of Haridas Thakur. He immediately chast- criticized him. Oh, assembly of learned scholars, he said, just hear the conclusions of this emotional devotee. After many millions upon millions of births, when one is, in, when, when one is complete in absolute knowledge, one still may not attain liberation. Yet this man says that one may attain it simply by the awakening of a glimpse. This is, uh, what is that? Namabas, right? That's the Sanskrit. A glimpse of the holy name. Haridas Thakur said, why are you doubtful? The revealed scriptures say that one can attain liberation simply by a glimpse of a fenceless chanting of the holy name. Quote, for a devotee who enjoys the transcendental bliss of devotional service, Liberation is, in, is most insignificant. Therefore, a pure devotees never desire to achieve liberation. And another line, My dear Lord, O Master of the Universe, these are quotes from the Shastra. Uh, Since I have directly seen you, my transcendental bliss has taken the shape of a great ocean. Being situated in that ocean, I now realize all other so-called happiness, even, including even Brahmananda, to be like the water contained in the hoof print of a calf. Gopal Chakravarti said, If one is not liberated by Nama Bas, then you may be certain that I shall cut off your nose. What an effect. <laughs> uh, the, then Haridas Thakur accepted the challenge offered by Gopal Chakravarti. If by Nama Bas liberation is not available, I shall cut off my own nose. All the members of the assembly who heard this were greatly agitated. You can just imagine. <gasps> right? Right? You can imagine the devotees, right? And they got up making a tumultuous sound. Hiranya and Govardhan Majumadhara both immediately chastised the Brahmana tax collector. The priest named Balaramacharya also chastised Gopala Chakravarti. You are a foolish logician, he said. What do you know about the devotional service of the Lord? You have insulted Haridas Thakur. Thus there will be a dangerous position for you. You should not expect anything auspicious. Then Haridas Thakur got up to leave, and the Majumadaras, the masters of Gopala Chakravarti, immediately kicked Gopala Chakravarti out and dismissed him from their service. They fired him, basically. With all the members of the assembly, the two Majumadaras fell at the lotus feet of Haridas Thakur. Haridas Thakur was smiling, however, and he spoke in a sweet voice. None of you are at fault. Indeed, even the ignorant so-called Brahmana is not at fault, for he is accustomed to dry speculation and logic. One cannot understand the glories of the Holy Name simply by logic and argument. Therefore, this man cannot possibly understand the glories of the Holy Name. All of you now go to your homes. May Lord Krishna bestow his blessings upon you all. Do not be sorry because of my being insulted. Then Hiranyadas Madhumadara returned to his home and ordered that Gopala Chakravarti not be admitted therein. Within three days, that Brahmana was attacked by leprosy. And at the, as a result, his highly raised nose melted away and fell off. The Brahmana's toes and fingers, fingers were, beautif- were beautiful like golden-colored champaka buds. But because of leprosy, they all withered and gradually melted away. Seeing the condition of Gopala Chakravarti, everyone was astonished. Everyone praised and, uh, the influence of Haridas Thakur and offered him obeisances, probably with a little fear also. <laughs> Although Haridas Thakur, as a Vaishnava, did not take seriously the, offense, the Brahmana's offense, the Supreme Personality of Godhead could not tolerate it. And thus he made the Brahmana suffer the consequences. A 
characteristic of a pure devotee is that he accuses any offense, excuses any offense by an ignorant rascal. A characteristic of Krishna, however, is that he cannot tolerate blasphemy of his devotees. Haridas Thakur was unhappy when he heard that the Brahmana Gopala Chakravarti had been attacked by leprosy. Thus, after informing Balaramacharya, the priest of Hiranyama Jumadara, he went to Shantipur, the home of Advaita Acharya. So, and it doesn't mean, you know, okay, we won't offend big, big devotees, but, you know, you know, small, small devotees, no problem, right? Uh, we shouldn't especially offend great souls, but we should not offend any, anyone, but especially someone who's chanting Hare Krishna. Or as, or as Prabhupada would say in his early lectures, someone who's a theist. Because here we're hearing, right? Because Krishna is a person and he, the way he takes it. Right? So, beware. Any thoughts on this? Or what thoughts do you have on this, rather? Yes. Um, this highlights the importance of respecting Brahmanas and Vaishnavas. Right. Uh, the other side of the coin that has been going on in India over the past few hundred years at least is these Brahmanas, they consider, some of them consider themselves very superior and then they started disrespecting the other right. uh, Varnas and the other people and right. which re led to a bitterness yes. in their... Uh, it's a downward spiral. spiral. And now both of these uh, sections are not able to relate with each other or cooperate and work right. towards a common purpose, which yes. is an unfortunate situation. Yeah, so therefore we have to behave properly ourselves. Um, yeah, I was going to say something else, can't remember. Yes, Jiva? Hare Krishna. So, and I'm reminded of the two sannyasi disciples in Mayapur when they had gone to the temple and the blessing they got from the Brahman Pujari was may you be born as a Brahmana. So again, the understanding also is sometimes limited when people make such comments or sometimes when yeah. they act inappropriately. So we have to keep that also in mind that sometimes people are ignorant how to behave or not to yes. behave. And yes. Vaishnavas are compassionate. <laughs> they understand the context before they right. take action. And, and therefore we also, at least, well, this might be a little presumptuous on our part, but we try not to act in a way that people would want to offend a devotee. Right? I, in, uh, in Japan, <clears throat> there was a person who owned some property and Prabhupada came to Japan and the devotees asked him, Prabhupada, if you ask him for that land, I think he'll donate it. And Prabhupada said, no, I won't, I won't do it. He said, you do it. He said, he said, because if I ask them and if they turn it down, then it's an offense. And I don't want them to commit an offense. So he was, you know, he also made a distinction between himself and his disciples in this regard. And they were like, this is very early, 1971 or so, you know. They weren't, uh, they weren't on the level of Prabhupada. <laughs> yes, but use a microphone to ask it. Hare Krishna. So turning down the request of a Brahmin or sannyasi is an offense? Well, I, at least in this situation, 
Um, Prabhupada said that. Now it might be, you know, if we if we go up to someone and say, please chant Hare Krishna, they say, no, I don't want to. It's, I don't know if that's like, you know, some major, uh, it's misfortune perhaps, but uh, I can't say that it's like that in every for example. Every example. For example yeah, go ahead. Now you have something in your mind. Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about a simple scenario. It's not anything specific, but it will help to understand. Devotee A says to devotee B, can you help me with dishwashing? Pots, <laughs> pans, there's too much work. Devotee B is tired maybe or what, for whatever reason they're not interested. They're heading out and they, they politely refuse. Is that, have they committed an offense? No, but, but it depends if they go, no, <laughs> that may be. So, so <laughs> but offense. if they would say, thank you for the opportunity to serve Krishna. Right now I'm, I'm busy doing some other things, uh, but I appreciate the... Uh, you know, the offer of service. Okay. So being polite. Maybe, maybe another time. Yeah being, yeah, being polite in words and if, speech. If our basis, like we were saying, is respect, then even, you know, if every time we have an exchange with another devotee, we would think, okay, what would be a respectful reply to that, to another devotee's request or discussion? Thank you. But if we say, get lost, you know, yeah, take a walk on the wild side. That's what we used to say in the 70s. So one devotee greeting another devotee and not being reciprocated, is that an offense? Unknowingly, no reciprocation. Unknowingly. You don't have to answer. I just no, but no, but you know, knowingly, you know, a matter of fact, I really appreciate, I won't mention the devotee's name, but uh, one of the devotees was here the other day uh, and we were standing outside and uh, he said to me something like, uh, said something about Gopinath, my son's wedding, and um, you know that I must be excited about it or something like that, right? And and I just kind of, I was I was my mind was on something else, and and uh, was kind of absorbed in that thought, so I was kind of rude to him, and I kind of said, yeah, 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 it's exciting, and I walked away. But to his credit, very much to his credit, he came up to me a few minutes later and he said, Prabhu, do you have you know, anything between us that's not right? You know, are you upset with me about something? He's a younger person, younger person than me. And I was so grateful he did that because you know, he made an assumption, and, 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 and rightfully so, because I was kind of short with him, right? And I said, no, and then I apologized to him, and I just said I was mine, you know, and we, we worked it out, right? Um, but I really appreciated that that he did that, otherwise he could be harboring some doubts about me. And, and, and I, all, I also, in the back of my mind, was thinking I was kind of brief with that person, but I didn't go up to him and apologize or clear it up. I just figured maybe in, next time I see him I'll be nicer, you know. Um, so relationships are so delicate, especially in Kali Yuga, and especially with people you don't know so well, right? If you know somebody really well, then, you know, right? Uh, yeah, just like um, I know in Vrindavan sometimes, I, I, somebody who I knew really well, right? I just walked in his, in his house and just opened up the refrigerator and started checking what's in there, right? No, no problem, because we had that kind of rela you know, relationship. But if I did that to somebody else, they were like, what the, who the hell are you? you know? <laughs> right. uh, so... Um, We should be careful, you know, there's that, of course, this is, this is just a set an, an example, right? But uh, 
There's that story about Rupa Goswami, that he was in deep, you know the story, he was in deep meditation on the pastimes of Radha and Krishna. And a Vaish, an elderly Vaishnava walked by. His eyes were closed, and he was in deep meditation. And uh, a, a Vaishnava who had some, uh, some uh, physical defects walked by. And in the meditation, he was meditating on uh, Radha and Krishna's pastimes, and he, he laughed a little bit because there was something funny in the pastime. But the Brahmana the, who walked by, or the devotee who walked by, thought he was laughing at him. And took offense, uh, or I don't, I, he took offense, but his uh, Rupa Goswami's meditation on Radha Krishna stopped. Yeah, and then and then uh, he 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 and, and Rupa Goswami, of course, being Rupa Goswami, understood that I must have offended a Vaishnava. So that was inadvertent. Um, so on our level, maybe you know, I mean, if we really do something inadvertently, you know, what can we do? But we just try to do things consciously. So sometimes if we have impediments in chanting, it could, it could be, be It could be because of Vaishnava offenses, yeah. So uh, one part, some, I think we've, we've talked about this before, but I'll just mention it again. One time someone asked Giri Raj Swami, well, what if you feel like, God, I've committed so many offenses. You know, I've been a devotee so long, I've committed so many offenses, oh my God. Because, you know, we know the cure. What is the cure for offenses? Beg forgiveness, yeah, and also, yeah, constant chanting, yes. So how do we do that? I, there's so many devotees are all over the world, and I, you know, who knows some of them. And and Giriraj Swami said, and that's why Srila Prabhupada instituted the Vanchakalpa Namonamha at the every morning after Mangala Arti. So that we it's kind of like a universal, hey, I'm sorry, kind <laughs> of thing, right? Yeah, and then the other point that uh, Raghunandapu was brought up, which is really the important, very important, and, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur talks about this, that for every one of the offenses, there's there's a what to do, right? The offenses are do nots, but for each one there was what to do. So instead of offending devotees, we respect devotees, we love devotees, and actually that's the important that that's that's our philosophy, right? Param dristva, right? Uh, that really, it's it's hard to just no no no. I'm not going to do this. Not going to commit offense. But for each one of those, right? We there's a positive thing. So you know, to uh, to blaspheme the devotees, we would to consider the names of the demigods to be equal to. And so no, you think of Krishna as a supreme, right? To disobey the orders of the spirit, to obey the orders of the spiritual master, to blaspheme the devotees, to have great the Vedic literature, have great respect for the Vedic literature, like that. So. We're very much a, a process of positive. Yeah. Matter of fact, my my teacher in uh, conflict resolution, my mentor, um, she uh, um, talks about how to change behavior, and it's right out of the Bhagavad Gita. You know, she gives like different levels, and the, the best thing is to reinforce positive behavior. Reinforce positive behavior. Of course, if there's a trusting relationship, because then some would say, well, what if my spiritual master chastised me sometimes? He's not following the best, you know. No, when, there's, when there is this trusting relationship, right? Like even Srila Prabhupada said that he don't, generally wouldn't chastise one of his neophyte disciples. He would chastise his advanced disciples. Because there was that relationship where that chastisement, you just, you know... Um, now, especially with 2020 hindsight, devotees just feel so much 
affection that Prabhupada chastised them. Although they did say that at the time, it was painful to think that they had displeased their spiritual master. Were you ever chastised by Prabhupada? You weren't that close. Pritsu, was he ever? Is he closer? Not so much. He tells a story of, uh, as a young, you know, kind of a new devotee, where Prabhupada came to the Schloss, you know, this castle that we were in. And, right. uh, and he thought, well, I, I he, he bought Prabhupada a blanket, thinking, oh, now I'm going to sneak in and have this personal darshan with Prabhupada. You know, <laughs> he kind of jumped the queue. You know how sometimes there were all these people outside, he had a servant right. to and so he says that he went in, Prabhupada was working at his desk, and he sort of opened the door and kind of came in and with his blanket. You know, he sat down in front of Prabhupada, and Prabhupada kind of didn't look up, didn't even acknowledge him. He kept on working. <laughs> so he sat, Preacher sat there and sat there, and so finally Prabhupada looked up, and, and, Pre- and Preacher showed him this blanket that he brought him, and Prabhupada just sort of looked at it. And he put it down, and that was it. Yes. And he slinked. I mean, he understood that he had, he had, um, yeah, yeah. He was thinking, oh, I'm going to get all this acknowledgement and pray. Prabhupada's going to really love that. And Prabhupada just didn't yes. acknowledge anything. He felt like a worm when he got <laughs> out. Yeah. It reminds me of the time in uh, in Mayapur. So Tamal Krishnamaraj was um, had a check. I think you know from book distribution. I think it was like twenty thousand dollars, and he gave it to Prabhupada. He gave, and at the same time, Buri Jampu gave him a check for like $562.23. It was um, because what he, he, was, uh, he was like one of the only householders living outside the temple. And he had a, a handbag business, but he, gave, he considered Prabhupada the, uh, the sole beneficiary of the business. So he gave Prabhupada all the profits. So Prabhupada looked at the check for $500 and just was, oh, this is so wonderful, this is so wonderful, you know, going on and on about it. And then he took the $20,000. He didn't mention anything. And Tamal Krishnamurti kind of, Because he, you know, he was looking at it from a different angle than the number of zeros uh, in the check. <laughs> I, my, I actually, uh, my first experience with Prabhupada was probably a chastisement as well because I was a, theology student who was very proud of what I my my knowledge and when I was went to see Prabhupada the first time he was coming in the airport and I was I didn't want him to see me but I wanted to see him so I could see I thought I had the ability to see where he was at, which is a very arrogant mentality. And then there were there were like three or four yatras from Spain and England and Germany in the airport VIP lounge. And so in order not to be seen but to see, I hid behind a couch. You know, they had like this, <laughs> Prabhupada was up on a big thing, stage, and people were offering. And I hid behind a couch so that I could see Prabhupada, but he, I thought he couldn't see me. But what happened was that you had other people standing this high, so there was a hole. And it, not, instead of Prabhupada not seeing me, it, it, it drew his attention. Like there's this weird <laughs> person hiding behind the couch. And so Prabhupada, as he acknowledged different people he knew, he kept coming back to looking at this gap in the couch. And as he looked at me, I could feel uh, not chastisement as much as purification to the point where I heard a sound, which was really my heart cracking open. And I could not stop 
weeping. And so I felt I was completely humil not only humbled, but humiliated for my arrogance. So that, I guess that was a chastisement. Very cool. Looking at me. Yeah. Anything else? Yes, Mama Drew. So uh, you brought up one good point, like a Vaishnava doesn't feel offended, but not that he is uh, ignorant of the offense the other person made, uh, but if it goes the other way around, like feeling offended for everything, you know, just with imaginary this, uh, better to stay away from that devotee. That's what I feel. Yeah. Prabhupada would sometimes talk about uh, respecting someone from a distance, was I believe his exact words. Yeah. But the respect is still there Respectful from a distance. Yeah. Yes. Uh, microphone. About making, committing an offense unknowingly or knowingly, what does it take to be kind? Not just to devotees, to who we think are non devotees. Wait, wait, I can't what, hear what you. What does it take to be kind to everyone? What does it take to be kind to everyone? Uh, advanced Krishna consciousness probably would help. Uh, but we can still fake it till we make it, right? right? We can uh, practice. I like we can we can wake up in the morning and we can think, okay, every person I come in contact with today, devotee, someone who's not practicing, uh, who's not a, a devotee, whatever, uh, let me you know make it a, a meaningful exchange or at least an uplifting one or a positive one or, you know, like that. We can think like that. <laughs> I heard. Uh, Anyway, it's a different topic, really, but just because we were talking about waking up, uh, a very senior devotee said to me once, he said, every morning I wake up an atheist. Meaning that, you know, he's just got to, he's got to pick up his beads and read the Bhagavatam and, you know, become fixed in Krishna consciousness. <laughs> Everybody's a kind of a potential devotee. We have no idea how the way we impact other people, you know, people right. we don't know. And sometimes the people we would not expect to be a devotee or become a devotee do. I mean, you, you might meet somebody on the street. Look at me. Think, yeah, well, you're right, well, <laughs> me too. But, you know, so we really, we, it, it, it's helpful to me to be open to the fact that this person might is a devotee and doesn't know it yet because Krishna is in well, their heart. Yeah, and ultimately everyone's a devotee that doesn't know it yet, right? Wasn't that right. statement by Prabhupada? Yeah. Right. How so, many followers do you have, Swamiji? Yeah. Unlimited. Some know it and some yeah. don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And there is something called Jana Aparad. So we have Vaishnava Aparad, we have Nam Aparad. So Jana means the general public. So as a general rule, we uh, don't disturb the minds of others. Well, one thing, is, you know, in chaplain training, that's really, really big uh, as far as becoming aware of yourself. We, we know how we're affected by other people because we feel it, you know, like I like this. And often it's just a projection of our own stuff. It's not really them. It's just they remind me of Uncle Pete and I didn't like Uncle Pete or whatever. Right. But to, to, to uh, practice the exercise of... Uh, asking yourself, how is my behavior affecting other people? Mm. And we never think about that, you know. It's and better. often, when we are bumping up against people, we, they may have a quirk or they may treat us a certain way, 
the question to ask is that is helpful is what did I do to invite that response? Yeah. Because they may be just responding to something you're doing, a facial expression, a voice tone, an attitude, and that you have been the, you have been the catalyst, and it's not them. <laughs> it's really, you put it out there that way. So. Very good. All right, shall we move on? Sure. sure. You're done with like our talking. <laughs> 38. The Supreme Personality of Godhead, the ancient eternal Godhead, who is foremost among all great personalities, obtained the opulence of his staunch reputation, which purifies the entire universe by worshipping the lotus feet of those Brahmins and Vaishnavas. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Krishna's, you know, Abhigya Swarat, he's Hamsa uh, Prabhu. But here, uh, he, uh, he's attained the, uh, his staunch reputation by worshipping. Hmm, interesting. Let's carry on. The Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is everlastingly independent, and who exists in everyone's heart, is very pleased with those who follow in his footsteps and engage uh, without reservation in the service of the descendants of the Brahmanas and Vaishnavas. For he is always dear to the Brahmins and Vaishnavas, and they are always dear to him. By regular service to the Brahmins and Vaishnavas, one can clean... Remember, this is the king speaking to his citizens. One can clean, uh, clear the dirt from his heart and thus enjoy supreme peace and liberation from material attachment and be satisfied. In this world, there is no fruit of activity superior to serving the Brahmana class, for this can bring pleasure to the demigods from whom the many sacrifices are recommended. Although the Supreme Personality of God Ananta eats through the fire sacrifices offered in the names of different demigods, he does not take as much pleasure in eating through fire as he does in accepting offerings through the mouths of learned sages and devotees, for then he does not leave uh, the association of devotees. Prabhupada writes, I hope nobody's too hungry as we read this. Therefore, to feed Brahmanas and Vaishnavas is to feed the Supreme Personality of Godhead directly. It may be concluded that instead of offering fire sacrifices, one should offer food steps to Brahmanas and Vaishnavas, for that process is more effective than fire yagnas. The vivid example of this principle in action was given by Advaita Prabhu. When he performed the Shraddha ceremony for his father, his first, uh, he first of all called Haridas Thakur and offered him uh, food. It is the practice that after finishing the Shraddha ceremony, one should offer food to an elevated Brahmana. But Advaita Prabhu offered food first to Haridas Thakur, who had taken his birth in a Mohammedan family. Therefore, Haridas Thakur asked Advaita Prabhu, why was he doing something which might jeopardize his position in Brahmana society? Advaita Prabhu replied that he was feeding millions of first-class Brahmanas by offering the food to Haridas Thakur. He was prepared to talk with any learned Brahmanas on this point and prove definitely that by offering food to a pure devotee like Haridas Thakur, he was equally as blessed as he would have been by offering food to thousands of learned Brahmanas. When performing sacrifices, one offers oblations to the sacrificial fire, but when such oblations are offered to Vaishnavas, they are certainly more effective. What's interesting is, I didn't know this when I was preparing for this class, but the last pastime that I read uh, about uh, uh, Gopal, Chakravarti, Gopal Chakravarti, and it, the very next verse is this pastime. Of, can remember, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> 
because uh, Haridas Thakur said that, aren't you afraid of this? And the Dwaita Chai said, my dear Haridas, do not be afraid. I shall behave strictly according to the principles of revealed scriptures. And then he goes on to that, uh, to explain that. Um, so a few points here, that it doesn't mean that, okay, I have a uh, one rupee Brahmin thread, right? So Krishna's going to eat for me, so you just offer me the food. It doesn't have to be prasad. It'll become prasad, right? Devotee doesn't think like that, right? As a matter of fact, you know, we have so many instructions about uh, that we only take prasadam, right? That's our, that's our uh, a vow that devotees try to take. They only take prasadam. Um, but it does mean that one does get a lot of uh, sukriti, spiritual sukriti, if one... Um, uh, offer, one uh, offers prasada, food, boga to the Lord and then invites Vaishnavas to their homes. And of course, people know this, especially in India. And therefore, uh, I, I know for myself, when, if I'm visiting, uh, in Vrindavan, it's not such an issue. But in cities where there's so many congregation members and things, you can, one can put on 30 pounds very easily. Right? Especially if you're in Gujarat, then it's like 50 pounds, right? Right? Because people understand this and they want to invite devotees, so, so they're always invited, please come, you know. So I know how Mukundamaraj used to do this here when he was living here for many years and he would go to people's homes. Um, and he was really good about it. He'd go out every night, practically speaking, to people's homes. But, he was, but, he, but because of his health, he just said, uh, uh, I'll take milk and fruit. Yes. Bus, you know. Of course, for a Gujarati, they'd go nuts, right? Because they want to give you. Or anyone, right? Uh, you know, different part, different cultures, and then they would just give you different preparations. But usually, there would be fried things and all these things, you know, and all that. Um, but the point is that one does. Um, Krishna is pleased when one uh, offers foodstuffs to uh, to Vaishnavas, and then we see this again and again in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. So many of the leelas there are are around prasadam, right? And, and Prabhupada called us a kitchen religion. Right? And you think about it, we have this very small kitchen right now, and it's amazing what they did, right? They cooked for a huge, uh, a, a good size wedding yesterday morning, and then they cooked for, well, I don't know, two or three hundred people last night, and then today for five hundred people, and they, and, and, and they just keep churning it out. It's amazing what happens in this kitchen, right? And then we, we cook for the homeless folks, and, and we cook for the deities six times a day. You know, it's, uh, it's actually... Uh, Amazing how much of our life focuses, because we have to eat, right? Anyway, so um, uh, eat only prasadam is, is a vow that we should try to take. And that can even mean, like for myself, I, go, I have business lunches and things. And so, you know, I offer the food in my mind and I just have something sattvic like salad. And I usually just, I just ask for olive oil dressing. So then you don't have to worry about what's in the dressing, Right? Right. Um, but, you know, in my mind, but I still try to make sure that I only take prasadam one way or another, and I say, Krishna, please. Because <laughs> not everyone that I'm with, although most people that know me when they go out to lunch, then they're, they're sensitive and they will only eat vegetarian things, but people, if it's an unknown person, who knows what they're going to order. When Prahlad Marj offered the poisonous Food yeah. with poison in it. <laughs> right. It took the poison out, you know, the lust right. or whatever. Right, exactly. Yes, you know, microphone? Oh, were you going to say something, Manaji? You had the microphone. Uh, next. Yeah. 
That's interesting what you're saying about when you go on business lunches, you know. So even the salad is very hard to get, you know, because some people just put egg or something, you know. Yeah, so you have to just say hey, basically. I'm usually you know, I'm just careful. Yeah, I say no onions, no eggs, no garlic, you know. Then you say, what do you want me to bring? <laughs> well, you can put salad, you can put pecans on top, you can do, yeah. Most restaurants these days are pretty good. Although usually, if I'm in a big city, I'll say, I'll go out, let's go out to lunch, but let's go to a vegan restaurant. So at least that way I don't have to worry about eggs and anything, yeah. Okay, and you can find vegan. I find, I find yeah, I usually find that. Even a, any restaurant pretty much these days has a pretty good salad. But I just, I just... I, and I, I explained to the people, don't mind. I said, I've been a vegetarian for 44 years, don't mind, you know. Yeah. And they said, you know, at least, at least in, some people give me a funny idea when I'm like in Fort Berthold, Montana, and they, they've, never, they've never seen a vegetarian in their life. They said, I didn't know that species existed. Right? A veggie who? Yeah. Yes. Hi, Bill. I just wanted to say what a sweet mood this temple has. My daughter and I and her friend arrived this morning at 8 o'clock, and I would say within 10 minutes, we were offered prashadam at least eight times. <laughs> How nice. Yeah, and then I was just thinking about your Well, just, I just interrupt you for that. Yeah. Everyone pretty nice. The temple presence, not so easy to get along with. <laughs> Everyone else is pretty nice. Go ahead. About 25 years ago, you and she gave a, a, a grahasta seminar at my home. I remember that. I remember that. That little house. Yeah, a little house. <laughs> um, and I was thinking about this the respect song, uh, Yadu Nath. He's a, quite a funny guy. He does improv for a living. At the Grahasta retreat in Gitanagri, he did a spin on it for Trinata P. So it would be T R I. You know. Oh, really? Oh, and nice. they had like a you know a letter for each one. And I, I thought it was very interesting that the next verse you came to after that really spoke about Lord Chaitanya, and you know humility. Hmm. So. To have respect, we have to have humility. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're not so big. Actually, it's, a, it's not so easy to come, we talk about these things, but we come to grips with the fact that we're insignificant. Right? <laughs> I told you that, that story about Prabhupada got that letter. He was with devotees and... Uh, my dear Srila Prabhupada, please accept my humble obeisances. I have a huge problem. And no, please accept my insignificant obeisances at your lotus feet. And Prabhupada was just laughing. He said, if he's insignificant, he can only have an insignificant problem. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know. Uh, yeah. All the big positions are taken, right? We can't be uh, can't be uh, one of the astasakis, you know, taken forever. Can't be Madhu Mangal, you know. Uh, it's not like uh, they're going to retire and, uh, you know, we can, we can get promoted. But when we actually understand that insignificance and at the same time we have this individual relationship with the Supreme Lord that no one can take away from us. Thank you for that comment. And you are welcome here. Where do you live now? I'm in upstate New York. Upstate New York. Stuyvesant Falls, there? Yeah, I have huh? some good neighbors. Yeah, you have some really good neighbors. My gosh. No wonder you're so happy. 
Okay, shall we move on? Do we have time for one more shloka or two? Um, yes, I was hoping to get to the gratitude one. We'll see. In Brahminical culture, the Brahmin's transcendental position is eternally maintained because of the injunctions of the Vedas are accepted with faith, austerity, scriptural conclusions, full sense and mind control, and meditation. In this way, the real goal of life is illuminated just as one's face is fully reflected in a clear mirror. Oh, uh, yeah, so in the purport, Prabhupada says one sentence here. Because Vaishnavas speak exactly according to the tune of Krishna. I just like that so much. I just said, Krishna, we speak to the tune of Krishna. Right? Uh, whoops, something just blocked. Uh, whatever they say is free from the four defects. So just like, you know, sometimes somebody has their guitar and they're, they're tuning it, right? And they finally get it right. So if we tune ourselves to Krishna, right? We, 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 we speak according to the tune of Krishna. We're in harmony with him. I'm trying to think of musical uh, analogies here. And then um, a little further, Prabhupada writes that one should therefore study the Vedas with faith, not only for one's personal knowledge, but for the sake of spreading this knowledge and these activities through real faith in the word, uh, uh, this knowledge and these activities through real faith in the words of the Supreme Personality of God in the Vedas. So that, that's a fact, you know, just like th for this class, the best thing about the, the person who benefits by far the most is me. Right? Because I have to, because I get to prepare for it, and the, the teacher is the one who learns the most. Not that I'm a, some big teacher; it's a conversation we're having. But you, you, you know my point. And so, it is really um, very powerful as we're reading Srila Prabhupada's books um, to think of, uh, all, you know, how would I explain this to others? That you know, you know, assimilating it ourselves. And then also how, because you really, I don't, I don't, if you ever had this experience, it's really hard to explain something to others when you don't have it pretty clear yourself. You know, I, I remember giving a class once. Anyway, well, it was a total disaster because it was, I was, I was speaking way above my realization. And when people asked questions, I was just like, uh, you know, right? So you, I didn't have it clear in my own mind. So, but I like this point, right? That we study for our personal knowledge and for the sake of sharing it with others. You know, and Prabhupada, a little further down. In this way, one can keep his Brahminical culture and spiritual strength intact by following the principles of devotional service strictly, chanting 24 hours a day. Raise your hand if you do that. Okay. I had a friend, Prabhanu Prabhu, who got a, his initiation letter from Prabhupada was you should chant 24 hours a day. He said he made it for like 33 hours and he just, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Hare Krishna Mahamantra, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. One makes positive progress in spiritual life and ultimately becomes completely fit to see the Supreme Personality of God face to face. Because the ultimate goal of studying or understanding the Vedic knowledge is to find Krishna. One who follows the Vedic principles as described above can from the very beginning see all the features of Lord Krishna, the absolute truth, very distinctly as one can see one's own face completely reflected in a clear mirror. Hmm. How nice. 
very encouraging words. Right? So we won't get to we. Yeah, I'll get in trouble with the temple president if I go over time. So we won't get to the but the next uh, verse for next week. Oh, not next week. I'm going for three weeks, right? I, I think I have to go to my son's wedding. I probably should attend that. So, uh, yeah, so we, we should talk a little bit about that. So there won't be class. Um, let's look at a calendar real quick. So next week is the 30th. Okay, so I'm in Belgium then. And then Sunday is the day after the wedding, so I'm in Belgium then. So the next class is on the 14th. Okay, and I'll send out the uh, reading assignments and all that jazz. Um, 